We're gonna try to value Bank of America, as long as I don't cramp up like LeBron. You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show, folks. I am David Hansen, joined today by Tyler Riggs. Good to be here. Matt is working on the German mm -hmm. stuff now, so we're gonna be swapping in and out. Getting his lederhosen's uh, fitted, I think, today. I so. think he, yeah. he needs to be. Uh, <laughs> did you watch the NBA Finals last night? Are you watching at all, or are you saving nope. all your energy for the, the World Cup? I, I gotta say, I'm a little disappointed in myself. I haven't watched any of it. I haven't watched any of the NBA playoffs. It's just been a very, you know, busy spring and summer, but, you know, I feel like being from Cleveland, it's just... You're done I, with sports I, altogether. I'm sort of with basketball. It's, the Heat are just, they seem like they're too good. I don't know what's going on, but... You got Johnny Football to look forward to. Oh, great. And we're looking forward to the first headline of the day. Exactly. Let's go over to it. Over at the Wall Street Journal, holders reject New York Community Bancorp's executive pay plan. So shareholders of NYCB reject, this is non-binding, so mm -hmm. they don't have to listen to it, sure. reject the pay plan for Joseph uh, Ficarola. I think I'm saying that right. Good enough. Very surprising here. This has been one of the best performing banks over the last 20 years. Ficarola's been in charge of the bank for, I think, 21 years. Mm -hmm. Started as a teller maybe 46 years ago. Yeah. So this guy's a lifer, produced good returns, and I saw this this morning, and it kind of caught my attention in terms of just curious. Yeah, it's strange because we couldn't find any sort of details about why this mm -hmm. plan was rejected. There's no, you know, large shareholders that are, you know, turning activists or anything yeah. like that. The only thing I can figure out is that maybe it's just some short-term performance is not up to par for shareholders. Mm -hmm. um, but by any metric, we look at New York Community Bank Corp as a bank. It's one of the best in the business, so it's a little surprising. Yeah, and the, the compensation isn't it's not cheap. I mean, mm -hmm. he's getting paid quite well, but like we said, he's been there for 46 years and produced good returns. So I I'm with you. Charge-off rates at this bank's coming out of the recession have been great. They didn't cut their dividend at sure. all through the recession. They're actively trying to get bigger, but do it in a smart way. Mm -hmm. They say every acquisition we look at has to be accretive right away to our shareholders. We turn down hundreds of deals a year. Uh, so I think this is a bank that's still focused on doing the right thing. So I shouldn't, I don't think shareholders should be very concerned to see that the CEO's pay sure. is being rejected. And I think it's anything, it, it's just worth waiting to see if there's any more information that does come out about why this was, you know, overturned. We'll see. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he's going anywhere. I don't think so either. All right, moving on to our in focus. We only had one headline for the day. Mm -hmm. uh, over the weekend, we ran an article on fool.com by Jordan Wath, and he says, Bank of America stock is cheap, the complete valuation. Now, you can't get this many places Absolutely. for free on the internet. Yeah. We had Jordan go through all of Bank of America, mm -hmm. all of it. All of it. And break down the five main businesses. He valued each business, and then kind of did a, a sum of the parts mm -hmm. to say, what is Bank of America really worth today? Is it undervalued? Is it overvalued? It's had a great run over the last couple of years. And the number that he came out with at the very end was 195 billion point five. 195.5 billion. Okay. Currently the stock trades of the market cap is 164 billion. Mm -hmm. So pretty big discount there, about 25% upside yeah, where it currently yeah. trades at. Uh, and Jordan went through and broke down all the business. We can talk a little bit about that. But was there anything that jumped out to you as saying, okay, he says there's 25% upside using conservative valuation metrics here. What are we missing? Obviously, yeah. there, there's some 
room for debate here because the market is saying, no, it's not worth that much. So what did you see in there that you could maybe question a little bit? Sure. So, well, first off, I just want to say that the way he analyzed Bank of America, I think is something that isn't done enough mm -hmm. with banks in particular, is looking at each individual business segment and breaking that out. It makes it much more easier to sort of wrap your head around these giant Mm -hmm. all-encompassing organizations. So I, I think that's really helpful to get a big picture of what's the good parts of it and what are the bad parts. My biggest, uh, and I, I appreciate the very conservative evaluation, mm -hmm. my biggest concern is, you know, he said, uh, quote, a hidden gem in a bank investors love to hate. Mm -hmm. You know, this is about one segment that was performing really well. And I think that's that's my concern with Bank of America is that it's a very tough company to own. Mm -hmm. It's easy to obviously buy and sell and things like that, but it's very tough because you know what it should be worth, but it might take a long time for mm -hmm. the market to agree. And all that time you're getting, you know, the media is not going to hesitate to show a negative story about banks, mm -hmm. particularly Bank of America. It's just something that's really going to put a lot of gray hairs on your head to own, and it's really tough to wait out that time for the market to agree with your value. Mm -hmm. So I think it's something too where we don't know how long that could take. Right. A 25% upside in a year is good. A 25% upside in five years, you start to really kind of lose your, you know, your return on your investment there, you know, dealing with the time cost. So I think that's something is that if you're willing to uh, invest in this company and steal yourself against that, those negative headlines and that yeah. constant press and that constant sky is falling type uh, coverage, then I think this could be a good investment, mm -hmm. but that's tough. That's a good point in terms of, okay, we have the 25% upside potentially, but how long does it take? And one of the other things that jumped out to me was when he went through all the businesses mm -hmm. and valued them, he got to the real estate business. Yeah. And they call it CRES now, C-R-E-S. And that's where they house all the bad stuff, or they, yeah. they call legacy asset servicing. Mm -hmm. And then all of the good stuff, the normal mortgage business, where they're still going and making mortgages, refinancing mortgages today. So all of that's lumped in there today. Mm -hmm. so a massive sinkhole with LAS. Yeah. And then an okay business with the mortgage business. And Jordan just went through and said, at the end of the day, I'm gonna value this at zero. Mm -hmm. Even though there's a mortgage business underlying this, that's making a small profit, yeah. we've got this massive sinkhole that still has outstanding litigation, outstanding costs that still need to come out of the system. So he valued it at zero, which I think is conservative, but I would almost wonder if that should be a negative number Absolutely. rather than just a zero. Certainly, I don't think it should be a positive number, but looking out, still possible uh, litigation expenses that are going to take a long time to get out of mm -hmm. the system there uh, of all the contractors they brought on to handle this. Yeah, yeah. So putting a zero on there is conservative, but I wonder if it'd be more conservative to put that at a negative number. And that's the thing too, is that also he points out the legacy versus non-legacy. Mm -hmm. The non-legacy stuff still didn't look that great. Right. And that's a real concern there because part of it is basically saying there's a lot of customers out there with deposits. Mm -hmm that we can get them in, in you know, bigger uh, margin products for the bank. But if one of those products is mortgages and the new stuff isn't really doing all that great, and mm -hmm. frankly, what, what has been a couple of years has been really good for you know, mortgage fees for financing and taking advantage of those low rates. So that's my real concern too, is going forward, this is a big chunk of their business, a big optics mm -hmm. part of their business. And if they're not doing that great on their new stuff already, I mean, that's concerning. Yeah, I mean, they certainly missed the refinancing boom mm -hmm. in 2012. Yeah. They were scaling back their mortgage operations in 2011, 2012. At the same time, Wells Fargo was amping theirs up, 
and yeah. they had that ama amazing 2012 and 2013 in terms of mortgages there. So Bank of America already showing that the good stuff, they haven't been able to have a good track record of being on the front of the mortgage market and yeah. saying, we know what's going on and we're going to make good profits in this area. So that's one area that has potential to maybe go lower. And like you said, I think that's something where a zero dollar valuation is conservative, mm -hmm. but like you said, it could be actually a negative valuation. It could hurt the company. Was there anything that you uh, saw as maybe too conservative? Maybe he was not giving it enough credit or anything jumped out saying, hey, that is a really good point by Jordan. I, I think um, too conservative. Just personally, I would err towards, I don't really feel like I ever get that point. Like mm -hmm. it's too low. I think it's something where, you know, a lot of what we talk about with Buffett and everything too is he's always concerned about, you know, there's a 99% probability of success and a 1% chance of failure. Mm -hmm. Charlie Munger and Buffett are most concerned about that 1% chance. It's a small number, but it still could happen. Mm -hmm. And it's just a matter of probabilities. So I think it's something where you can never be too conservative. Um, and I think especially with something like this Bank of America, which is going to be, a, it could be a big investment, it could take some time. You want to make sure you're covering all your bases mm -hmm. and you're really, you know, uh, producing that substantial margin of safety or you're finding that margin of safety. Yeah. So in terms of his analysis, I, I mean, I, I thought it was excellent. I, I really love the fact that you can break out all those segments again. And, uh, and yeah, I, I just say the one thing that'd be stopping me is just how long? Do you, how long and how long can I watch Bank of America get ripped apart in the headlines for stuff that might not even really be that big of a yeah. business impact? I think that's fair. The one segment that I thought was he was maybe undervaluing was the consumer retail business, mm -hmm. uh, business banking segment that they have. And he looks at the amount of deposits that they have. It's oh, yeah. incredible. And the low rate that they pay on those deposits. I mean, it's one of the lowest in the business. And that's a huge advantage for them. And, Last year, I guess the, the return on the allocated capital to that segment was 22% return on equity. Yeah. Think of it that way. And he valued at, you have 22% return on equity. Let's put a 2.5 times multiple on that. I think that's pretty reasonable if you're getting 22% return on equity there. So effective return of 8 9%. I think that's mm -hmm. very reasonable. But in the environment that we are in now with low interest rates, mm -hmm. they have a lot of opportunity to make more interest income going forward if the yield curve steepens. Sure. If the economy improves, they can continue to have more service charges uh, in their business banking segment there. So he valued that one at $74 billion. I think that could creep up to $90 billion mm -hmm. potentially uh, in a different environment there. So I think if there was one segment that he undervalued a little bit, I would say it was that one. Okay. And, and uh, going on with that a little bit, one thing I notice, and one thing I'd want to see how it affects in the future is the closing of branches. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he talks about either a bank will have very high cost deposits and thus low operating costs, or will have very inexpensive deposits and higher operating costs. Uh, bank of America is in that second category with op high operating expenses because they have branches all over the place. Yeah. I wonder if, if, if they're closing those branches that other side of the equation is going to have to increase. So this huge deposit base, could it start getting more and more expensive as the sort of unquantifiable benefit of having branches near your customers starts to disappear? Interesting. And that'll be an interesting trend to see. I mean, just in terms of, we talk about how internet banking or online mobile banking is the future. Mm -hmm. I know I still sometimes want to go into a, a branch, you know, if I need to do a, you know, a cashier's check or things like that. So that'll be an interesting trend to say, you know, 
should we be going to the polar opposite now and going all mobile, all online, or is there some sort of middle ground? Right. You know, could Bank of America set up more branches in, you know, supermarkets or things like that, little stands or something? You could do that. Again, the entire article, the headline was mm -hmm. Bank of America stock is cheap. The complete valuation, if you want to go online, read it for yourself. There's another picture of it there. Uh, it's by Jordan Wathen. Uh, leave your comments in the comment box below. See if you agree with Jordan, disagree, and Absolutely. we'll see what happens. All right, moving on to our mailbag for today. Today we have a question from Kevin. He says, quick question about trading fees and how they apply to an investing strategy. If you didn't have to pay trading fees, would you invest differently? I've heard on several Motley Fool podcasts to invest in thirds. I, under I understand this to mean that if a full position is, for example, 9,000, then you would buy 3,000 worth of that stock on three separate occasions. I believe one of the main reasons for buying in thirds is promoted because it manages trading costs. Tyler, if you didn't have to pay, maybe you don't pay trading costs, I'm not sure. Do. Uh, does it impact the way you think about how you invest at all? Um, yeah, I think it does. It, it, it depends on your position size. I yeah. mean, if you're paying a dollar amount for a small, tr small position, it's going to cut in your returns more, obviously. Yeah. Um, the one thing I'd say with the uh, mailbag is that it, it, doing it in thirds is not trading costs necessarily, it's just dollar cost averaging where it's, re it's reducing your position potentially, mm -hmm. uh, removing sort of that market risk. Basically, if you buy, you know, put all your money in this stock today and tomorrow it goes down 30%, you're, you're getting hit a little bit by the market risk. So if you do it in thirds over say three months, it would hopefully control and smooth out that cost mm -hmm. basis. Um, for me though, I think, I think it's, it's, to have free trades, it's nice, but it's also dangerous too, mm. because it is a benefit, but if it changes how you invest, if it changes how you look at your investments, to think that you can, should go in and out more, for reasons maybe just because it's bouncing around a number or things mm -hmm. like that, I think that's really dangerous. I think that's something where, you know, we talk about the segment of Bank of America being, you know, a zero versus a negative number. This is sort of something where you're paying zero, but could it actually negatively impact your investing? So yeah, I think that's a good point. And Kevin actually mentioned that further yeah. down his question, yeah. his email to us. If there's a stock that it's bouncing around, mm -hmm. you want to jump in and out, yes, you could potentially do it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's not necessarily long-term buy and hold investing that, that we talk about here yeah. all the time. And also th something you want to be mindful of, it depends on the account that you have, but you'd be paying short-term capital sure. gains uh, taxes on every yeah. time you jump in and out of a stock like that too. So if you're trading in a tax-free account like an IRA, you don't, maybe don't have to to worry about it as much, but even still, something to be mindful of. And uh, to me, I do get I get a certain amount of free trades a month, but mm -hmm. it doesn't impact. I don't I don't feel the itch to say, oh, I yeah. got to spend my free trades. Yeah. So uh, I think it's should be a very very small portion of your mental energy going to think about Absolutely. trading fees like that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's something where it's it's nice that it's nice that you don't have to pay. Yeah. Like it's a nice little perk, but don't have it change how you invest. I'd say. All right. Let's move on to the game for today. Plain old stock. Quiz. All right. Did I stump you last time? I think you did. I, I'm I'm pretty bad at these, so. All right. I'm, I'm not. A, I don't have a high stump, ceiling here. I'm gonna stump you again. It <laughs> says this Berkshire Hathaway operating business had the highest EBIT margin in 2013 at nearly 27 percent. Was it A total insurance, B BNSF, C finance and financial products, or D Mid American, which is now known as Berkshire Hathaway Energy? What do you got? So I I think I'm gonna stay away from the insurance and finance. Okay. Um, so we've got energy. We've got railroads, energy railroads. Um, I guess I'm going to have to go with, I go with railroads. Why not? You got the railroads. I that did. That is correct. All right. Uh, I'll take it. Highest EBIT margin there of any other businesses. 
operating businesses, mm -hmm. that the big ones that they call out there. So maybe not like Seas Candy. Sure, sure. The big ones. Um, and I mentioned on the show after we went to the Berkshire Hathaway meeting, Matt Rose, the, the chairman of BNSF now, mm -hmm. got called on a lot by Warren Buffett. And everyone started to wonder, hey, maybe this is a guy that we should be paying more attention yeah. to in terms of who could maybe take the reins of Berkshire Hathaway. But his business that he's kind of created a succession plan, he's moved into the executive chairman role. Mm -hmm. Maybe... Maybe, maybe, we'll see. Put them on uh, the big the board. business performing very well. Hasn't been under the Berkshire umbrella that long, but already such an important part of the business there. Uh, so definitely one to keep keep an eye on. Sure, and if you're looking for someone with a background of businesses that just sort of, I don't want to say churn along. Chug along. Chug along, there we go, yeah. You know, it's the right, that's the right yes. business to be in for a successor for Berkshire. Yeah. All right, what do you got? How are you going to stump me? All righty, so this is a little bit less stock-based, but I thought this was important to, uh, to share. So which of these topics were not the focus of books listed on J.P. Morgan's recommended reading list for 2014? A, the human brain, B, space exploration, C, big data, or D, boat racing? Which one is not on the list? Not, yes. There's about, I think, 15 or 10 books or so. so. I'm going to go with... We think you're gonna try to stun me. I'm gonna say big data. Ah, it seems too obvious. I know. Is that right? Yeah, it's right. Yeah, so big data was the one that was actually on last year's uh, okay. reading list. So I will say that looking at these lists, I saw summer reading and mm. I had flashbacks to eighth grade in high school and I got shivers up my spine. But I think this is, you know, there's some good reads in here. And I mm -hmm. think it's also, you know. Are they books or articles? Really? They're books, they're okay. all books. Um, and I think it's just, you know, important to always sort of have, you know, at least a book on tap to read whenever you've got the time. I think, what you know. What was the boat racing one? The boat racing one was about, um, I believe it was America's comeback, in, or a comeback in America's Cup. It was a boat mm -hmm. race, I think, off okay. California. Some, forgive my lack of knowledge about boat <laughs> racing, but I think it was just some, you know, huge epic comeback that happened, I think, last year, but. Um, I will not forgive your knowledge, your lack of knowledge <sighs> about sorry. boat racing. Well, I, I, got, I gotta work on it. It's nice weather out, maybe I can do some uh, first firsthand research, but. Cool. But yeah, I think it's just something where there's a lot of different subjects tackled in just that list. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important just to kind of tackle all different subjects in your reading. It doesn't always have to be about investing yeah. or Buffett. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to the Twitter sphere. Okay. Got four tweets to finish off today. First tweet is from Josh Hubbard. He says, man from Singapore is paying more than $2 million to have lunch with Warren Buffett. So the auction lunch, did you yep. know this was going on? Yeah, yeah. Over two, I think it was 2.2 million for lunch in San not, Francisco. Not a cheap lunch. I guess cheap. normal lunch in San Francisco costs like, what, a million dollars? Sure, definitely. sure. You know, so it's just a little bit more, yeah. yeah. Is there anyone that you'd want to have lunch with? Investing, doesn't have to be investing anything in the world. Oh, boy. First person that comes to mind. First person that comes to mind. Other than me. Other than you, of course. I, I'd pay 2.3 million for that. <laughs> I don't, that's a good question. I'd have to think about it. I'm not quite sure because I think a lot of this, you know, I hear about these lunches, and my base concern is, I've got to get good questions for this. Yeah. Like, if I'm going to pay $2.2 million, like, i got to have some good questions. Well, better, better question, not a person that you don't want to have lunch with, but what's the most you'd actually pay with to have lunch with someone? <sighs> no, I don't would exactly pay, have 2.2. Would you ever pay, like, $1,000 to have lunch with someone? I, I think so. I think it's something where yeah. if it's someone who I know I could get the right an answers that I wouldn't normally get from, you know, so interviews or, yeah. or books or anything like that, I think it'd be an opportunity to ask sort of tough questions, questions they don't need to be worried about, like, you know, if it's going to be reprinted at all, but just something where it's, you know, hearing more about their mistakes. I think that's a really important thing to hear from, you know, your role models, just hear what they did wrong, mm -hmm. that if they had another time to do it over with, you know, they would change. And I think, 
So yeah, thousand dollars would be. Steve. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I really would not want to look at the receipt. But no, you do not. Want yeah. To. All right. <laughs> Second tweet of the day. This is from Nick Timrose. He says, Fannie Mae survey. Forty-three percent of people said it was a good time to sell their home in May, the highest in the four-year history of the survey. I don't really have much to add. I just yeah. always interesting. That that's a really cool survey that sure. that Fannie Mae puts out. Just kind of gauges what the housing market looks like. Forty-three percent of people said good time to sell. Sixty-eight percent of people said good time to buy. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's just something where you see people, I think that 43% are starting to say, okay, things might be kind of turning around, mm -hmm. you know. I guess it depends, you know, obviously on what market you're in, but if it's a good time to sell, you know, obviously it's summer, it is, mm -hmm. but uh, it's something where maybe people have, you know, their houses have recovered in value, they're no longer underwater, mm -hmm. so maybe it's time to say, okay, now it's time to sell this, you know, house and maybe think about something more responsible for you know, that could be the case. Yeah, and most likely this will be one of the catalysts, one of many that impact mm -hmm. the housing market. It's very hard to say this is the one thing that will drive housing prices. Uh, yeah. But we, we saw, I saw data from Trulia this morning mm -hmm. that said no more cities are seeing 20% year-over-year sure. growth. That's that's going away because more people are putting their homes onto the market, more mm -hmm. inventories coming onto online there. So well, and you also one think of the about, that will push down prices yeah, a little bit. And you also think about 20% year-over-year growth. It's crazy. It's, it's crazy, but it's also something where it's 20% coming from a bottom, yeah. too. So it's just, it's sort of had to slow down at some point. 20% year over year, we'd be right back to the inflated prices, yeah. you know, in 2007. So it had to slow down, but I don't think that's necessarily a concern. I think that's just more of... Uh, Normal. Thing, right? Yeah, reversion to normalcy, yeah. yeah. All right, third tweet of the day. This is from Payment Source. Say, what does, quote, wearable payments mean for banks? So this is an article that was an opinion piece that was mm -hmm. basically saying what is the wearable technology going to mean for the financial industry yeah. in the next 10, 15 years. One of the quotes they said is by 2025, I think, practically no transaction will, transactions will be done in, in the bank banking branches. branches anymore. Interesting there. And they say if we have wearable payment technology, we won't have a wallet, mm -hmm. even a phone anymore, just tap things, um, which sounds threatening I mean, the headline says the next disruption for banks, sure, question sure. mark. I'm going to go out, out out here and say, I don't think this is a disruption to banks because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I think it's more a disruption to maybe payments technology rather than Absolutely. a bank like Bank of America or Wells Fargo. Because at the end of the day, what does a bank really do? They're a place where people can securely hold their money mm -hmm. and also borrow money. And a wearable technology is not going to replace that function. Uh, the deposit and borrowing function has been in society for thousands of yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the banking function. So I don't think wearable technology is a threat to a traditional banking model. It's more of just a threat to how we pay things, yeah. pay for things. And I think uh, this was, I think, written by uh, Chief Operating Officer of Heritage Bank in Australia. Mm -hmm. And I think he was saying that they're already doing embedding payment technology into business, into suits, uh, which is sort of like, okay, I mean, that's, that's, that's neat. Uh, dying to pay for this I, I want my I want all my financial information on, on a headband head, yeah. and just headbutt the ATM. Um, but it's just something where, why I point that out is that this is a bank in Australia. Mm -hmm. And I think you see the, with credit cards, you see the pin and chip technology is a commonplace in Europe. Mm -hmm. But that stuff isn't, in the US yet. We are just slower to adopt this stuff. Yeah. And I think it's just something where this is an interesting sort of cultural uh, uh, transition. I think it's something where you might see, um, you know, maybe Europe or Australia, they might embrace 
uh, wearable uh, payments a little bit more than, say, America would. And I think that's just something that's an interesting thing to see. say. We can't... Uh, it's not going to affect the entire banking industry. I think it'll be very geographically uh, centered, and it'll be interesting to see, but I think it's going to take some time in the U.S. It's just with things like the target data breach, just sort of, it feels like sort of setting back mm-hmm. um, the movement of, you know, more mobile payments and things like that. Um, but then again, it's also that might speed up the yeah. pin and chip. Well, I'd say the flip side is you can look at maybe not the NFC kind of wearable, mm-hmm. how to pay for things, but just the even more hands-off experience like you get with an Uber. Yeah. So basically calling a cab and you get out, you never have to even look at your phone. Yeah. It's all just paid for. I think that is probably a scenario that makes a little bit more sense than an NFC wearable type of technology where if you're in the grocery store, you pick out all your stuff and you just walk out and everything is paid for, basically you don't even have to do anything. Yeah. Uh, So I think something like that is maybe more feasible than someone paying with their suit, sure, uh, sure. In terms of a mass market type of thing, but we've seen the payments uh, process with that Uber uses yeah. to be pretty seamless, and everyone loves Absolutely. it. So uh, I would look forward to seeing more of that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. All right, final tweet of the day comes from Aaron Dunlap. He says, "At TMF Financials, new format is better than expected." Referring to the new WTMI format, I've saved every episode last week to go over after work. The new format, people are. That's great not to hear. Hating it. Yeah, yeah, not hating. Yeah, better Surprise. than expected. Not hating. These yeah, are was, all just really positive. It was a kind of a compliment. It was yeah. just saying like I thought it was going to be horrible, but now it's just like okay. Well, that's our that's our new motto. Better than horrible. So I like that. <laughs> better but, than horrible. Uh, I said it on Friday, but if you if anyone has any suggestions, what they would like to see done differently on any of the other days, mm-hmm. including our day, uh, how can we make the format the best possible for all of our listeners, all of our viewers? We're open to making adjustments. Absolutely. All right, that's all we got for today. You can email us, WTMI at fool.com. You can tweet at us, at TMF Financials. We will see you tomorrow.